Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung and Val Matthews. This podcast is brought to you by Innate. We hear it from our podcast guests frequently. Today's capital projects require the highest degree of visibility. That's why we at the Project Chatter podcast want to tell you about construction project management software from Innate. It's software that integrates every aspect of your project and puts you in control. Innate's cloud-based solutions provide a connected data flow that improves efficiency and guides better outcomes across the entire project lifecycle. See what Innate software can do for your next construction project. Learn more at innate.com. That's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Plan Academy. Is your company proactive when it comes to scheduling? Many companies believe project schedules are just the requirements of the contract, but companies looking to gain an advantage strategically manage their project timeline, resources, and budget. Plan Academy helps construction companies improve their project controls through immersive online training courses. At Plan Academy, your team can learn construction, planning and scheduling theory, how to master scheduling software like Primavera P6, and even advanced scheduling techniques. Plan Academy's courses are 100% online and can save your company thousands when compared to costly in-person training. Visit planacademy.com forward slash chatter to download course outlines and talk to a training specialist now. Hi everyone, this episode is brought to you by Just Do. Just Do is a portfolio project management tool we've been using at Project Chatter. Whilst all other systems cater for small teams, Just Do caters for teams large and small, plus it has no set hierarchies, meaning your structure, your platform, your workflow. I agree, Val. While Just Do is simple to use, it also has a lot of powerful functionality. My favorite is the task-specific chat. Yes, and for all you slackers out there, don't wait for Monday. Do check out justdo.com. Now on with the pod. In this episode, we talk about competency-based training, benchmarking, and being canceled on LinkedIn with Dr. Paul Giamalvo and Yanni Suratman. Dale, what a show, huh? What an amazing show. Um, you want passion, you want controversy, you want, uh, I guess, just that raw, informal, informative experience. I think it was all wrapped in, into one. Look, I mean, other than being hugely entertaining, it was also hugely insightful. I think we covered a lot of ground. We didn't have enough time to go into too much depth in all of the detail. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as I, I guess... A lot of people that are familiar with Yanni and Dr. Paul, I guess they know that you know they are both controversial, but they they actually have got some fairly good views. I I think I found myself agreeing with quite a bit of what they're saying. We had a bit of discourse yeah. and debates as well around other topics, but they do have, um, in in my view, valid angles on 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 certain aspects of them. Uh, but yeah, what what were the highlights for you on those topics? I. Th- I think, well, we agreed that and they're quite polarizing personalities, but obviously they, they don't agree with some of the institutions and the certifications, which I, you know, we happen to agree with. A lot of these certifications are a money grab and these guys are standing against that. But also, you know, the passion that Dr. Paul brings out in his stories and why he was canceled uh, altogether from LinkedIn. And we know that censoring, censoring and, and I guess cancel culture is, is an issue that we need to deal with, but he is very passionate about project management and that certainly came through 
Um, and then we even touched on some benchmarking, which I thought was great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think the best thing is, as we always say, just get stuck into this one. And I guess when you're listening it to, to it, listeners, um, listen to, I guess, what they're saying more than how they're saying it. Because the controversy can come across and potentially go, okay, you're just moaning, but actually it wasn't a moan. It's actually quite valid. And Val, you do ask him at the end why he does it that way. So listeners, listen out for his answer on that. Enjoy the pod. Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's always great to have you with us. If you haven't already done so, hit subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast player or YouTube. If you prefer to watch our friendly faces, you can. And leave us a rating, you know, have a chat, comment, leave your points there. We love to discuss online. And so do our two next guests. Before I do, Vale, Vale, who's Vale? Dale, how are you? And I heard you had a great episode or a session at the Project Controls Expo in London. How was it? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was good to meet people face-to-face again, Val. So big shout-out to Anil Godawale and all the, the team behind the expo. Um, it was the 10th anniversary, a, a delayed one. But um, wow. yeah, it was, it was great to see people face-to-face. And um, I actually want to share a quick story, uh, if I may, just, I guess, 20 seconds. I bumped into um, one of the other delegates there and we just started chatting. And she said, I recognize your voice. And she says, are you on a podcast called Project Chat? And I was like, yeah, I am, um, which I was quite embarrassed by. And she said, you're famous in my house. And But the, the, that wasn't the story. The, the biggest thing for me was that she said, well, she's new to the industry. And the podcast and all the guests we've had has contributed to her knowledge, to her interview, to the way she's um, conducted her initial stage of, of getting into controls. Uh, so that really validated what we're doing on this podcast by paying it forward into the industry. So thank you to all of our guests that have contributed. I know it's a bit early for it. Christmas is still coming, but I felt (laughs) I needed to share that out there and it just gives us a reason to continue paying it forward. Val. That's a great story and great feedback. And I'm sure our guests would appreciate that as well, that, you know, they're getting, we're getting out there. We're making a bit difference. We're making an impact and we're not charging for it. And that's a really good important point is you can educate yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Now let's enjoy and encourage our guests to speak up today. Um, we're joined by two guests today, which is great. Uh, Dr. Paul Giamalvi, Giamavo, apologies, and Yanni Suratman. I am pleased to re- welcome you to the Project Chatter podcast. How are you guys today? Great. Good. good. Excellent. And look, I, I think, you know, with regards to just before we press record, we talked about a whole bunch of things and this title tells it all but doesn't tell everything. And so right at the end of this podcast, I think we'll get into some detail and maybe even a little bit of controversy, which is always good and juicy. But look, you know, today is about insight and educating our listeners. Um, Paul, I might start with you because you have a very impressive moustache, much better than my own. And, you know, in honor of Movember, uh, obviously this is a great cause that I'm raising this for. Otherwise my wife would have me um, massive trouble. She doesn't like the mustaches, but might, might start with you about your project career. Where did you start? How did you fall into project management? Um, where were your uh, kind of roots? Oh, I, uh, I started out as a carpenter. I started out in the oh. trades as mm. a union carpenter from apprentice to journeyman to master carpenter. And then I became a, a union contractor. So for 
for 30 years, I was in, I was in the contracting side of it. So uh, I have a lot of firsthand experience, which is why I have very little patience with uh, some of the bullshit that's, that's being uh, perpetrated. In, in particular, you may find it interesting because I, I'm a, a, a really huge fan of earned value management, but not the way the military uses it, <laughs> okay? We use it, we use it quite differently. And um, we've had very good luck. We've uh, we've got a PMO that we set up for Freeport, Indonesia, for their gold mine, and it's they documented savings of forty-five million dollars over a four-year period using it. So we don't have too many PMOs that are successful, especially mm. in owner organizations. Okay, and there's even fewer that are able to document how much money they saved. So we've got one of the very few really big success stories that I've ever heard about. Yeah, brilliant, Paul. And yeah, it's great to hear from you coming from the tools as well. So that'll be an interesting insight. And Yanni, yourself, how did you get into projects? And what's your what's your SPAC story? Well, my background is actually hotel management. So I know Dr. Paul two years before we worked together. So... I mean, work together as a team. We both work together for one of the minister conglomerate guy, you know, in the same company, but in different project. And every day he actually asks my manager if he can borrow me, <laughs> borrow, he got help, you know, because his team is totally disaster, you know. So, and I help him, but then, you know, uh, about six months later, I moved to different uh, company and he also moved to different company and he started to basically ask me if I will able to help him join him and do the sales and marketing. I was sales and marketing since I was seven years old, you know, because my mother have a homemade ice cream and that kind of stuff. So I entrepreneur since I was really small. And then we work together. We have successfully I hit the huge contract, the contract, Nokia all over the world, Ericsson. I mean, you name it, you know, we like go mm. crazy. And then, then first time I'm traveling in New York, I met with the owner of this company and I'm saying, look, I'm going to quit. I think I have enough money to start my own company. But before I asked him, will be joining with me, you know, like I will totally make set up differently. No salary for us, only all best on commission. And we start to just working from home. So we work from home since 29, 29 years ago, you know, because I try to manage the overhead, you know. So mm. should we pay big bucks to the overhead, I give it to my employee, you know, so they become loyal to me. So we start to work together. And then if you take a look to our website, you know, our, our client is like all over the world. And the owner is actually like, okay, I will share, I will sell the share like 50-50. No, I do not want to because I want to own it. I'm a, I'm a freak and I'm a control freak woman. I said, I want a hundred percent, you know? So <laughs> finally I bought all the share a hundred percent and I managed the company. And until now, you know, we, we almost travel around the world and our project is, is so interesting because we are not, we are not chasing after, ordinary project you know we're chasing after a project that 
expatriate white skin do not want to go you know it's like oh my god it's danger i remember we we almost signed a contract you know to go to iraq and then it's a war but one company saying oh my god i need project control project control team or at least bring dr paul here you know and i said are you sure because the ransom is going to be huge you know compared with the actual contract like if you really could pay us you know i don't mind karachi and i said you know what we'll be better like we just meet you know in dubai so that's what we're gonna do but his wife you know saying No, you you're not gonna go to Iraq, you know, because we have to train the Kabul people, you know, they they mm. they local people, and they would like to be basically uh, be the owner of the country, you know, to be they the one uh, running the project and the money stay in 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 uh, there, you know, no nobody involved, especially expatriate, but. Something like that. So, and since that we worked together for over 28 years. I was on when I start. Wow. I'm only only 26, 27, and now I'm 51, going to 52. So, it's a long time. That is a long time, and it, that means you guys work great together. And so, if we do ask a question and you want to pass it to each other, obviously we know who's who. Look, that's a great background obviously very different but it sounds like you're interested in doing things that are dangerous in projects and that sounds good but probably high for your life insurance premiums um so <laughs> paul <laughs> i might go to you paul you know how how exactly uh, you know our first kind of conversation was before we press record was around i guess the, the discussion of education and certifications and why don't we just start with some of the big hairy kind of conversations the elephant in the room Certifications in general. Where is your stance on project management certifications and why? <laughs> wow, <laughs> big. There's a, there's an hour and a half right there. <laughs> First of all, coming from the trades, I I find the and I'm also a, I'm also a certified petty scuba diving instructor and also a, a private pilot with um, with uh, about 600 hours flying the Alaskan bush. So wow. I have a real sense of what competency looks like, okay? And it kills me to see people passing a four-hour multiple-choice exam with a passing grade of, 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 of which only 175 questions count and passing it with 106 or, or a, a score of 62%. So these whole, the, the whole concept of exam-based certifications is a farce. It's a joke. It's an embarrassment. Okay. Now, luckily enough, IPMA, which now AIPM is part of, IPMA has already always had a competency-based certification program. I don't find it to be overly impressive, but it's better than PMI's approach or AACE's approach. Although AACE has has got a couple of competency-based certifications. Their, um, their, 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 claims, their claims requires competency and some of their risk requires competency, the top one, the DRMP. But most of these, most of these certifications are, are joke, an embarrassment. They're nothing more than cash cows. And what, mm -hmm. PMI's got what, what $600 million in liquid assets. So it's certainly been profitable for them. And I'll be honest with you, we've made, we've made literally millions of dollars training people for the PMP. Yeah, but even not for three days or five days. 
No, 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 no. We do we do 90 day programs for the PMP. And uh, so we we've we've always stuck by our guns and basically everything I do, every all of all of the training I design and deliver is based on my experience in the trades. And, uh, you know, learning to be a pilot or, or teaching people to be scuba divers and teaching them competency, not uh, not uh, how to pass exams. Dr. Paul, sorry, I'm mm-hmm. interrupt. In your class, you're basically teaching two, uh, I don't know what you call teaching two way, you know. One is teach them best practicing and then teaching also how to pass the exam, you know. But you tell the truth, you know, like, the guidebook, you know, this guidebook is not really fit for you. In real life, this is what you have to do. But in order to pass the exam, this is what yeah. you have to do. And when you when you open and sign the contract, you know, for that market, you have to really work hard because everyone in the market, you know, selling for five days, three days, and then poof, pass the exam because they, they memorize what they have to answer. But at the end, you know, they do not know how to run the project. So, and because I'm a sales, because I'm a marketing, because I'm a contract, so I basically explaining to them. First, you know, before we get into really further uh, 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 plan for them, you know, what, what is the plan? You want your people able to run the project or you want your people pass the exam? Because if you come to us, your people only want to pass the exam, then we're not the right company. So... Mm-hmm. Basically, that's what, what the program run. No, there's some really good points there. And I love the passion already. I can see it through the screen. If you're not watching the video, maybe you should. But Paul and Yanni, I've got another question just to back that up. I always ask almost every episode, don't I, Dale? The definition. So let's, let's set a baseline for our listeners around what exactly is competency-based education? What does that mean to you? Okay, yeah. Let's see. How can I do this best? We've got a slide on that. <laughs> we go yeah. through it. Do you mind if I can I share my screen? Sure, yeah. go for it. Yeah, I don't mind. Okay, and uh, now I'm going to have to open up a, a slide here. For so for those folks listening, you're going to have to watch now and uh, have a look at the slide. Yeah. But I think some good points you raised while you're bringing that up there, Paul. Um, I'll just add that you're right. I think the model for some of these certifications and the competition means that they have to be cheaper, faster, quicker, uh, easier to access, lower score rates, so higher outturn and, and a bigger success. So the something around the cost model doesn't really work with competency-based. And I think that's one of the issues. Um, and then the other issues I think is there's a lot of saturation. So people don't know which way to go. Um, and sometimes they're, they're pushed into that by a friend or maybe a company prefers yeah. a certain supplier rather than thinking about the outcome of what does that provide the, the individual rather than what it provides the company. Uh, they're very interesting points, but uh, I know Dale will get in here in a sec. Oh, well, in Paul. a sec as well, just while Paul's still uh, getting the, the uh, presentation up. But uh, Paul, you got it, Paul? Yeah, I got it. Okay. Can you see it? No, not no. yet. But not what yet. we'll do, Val, is while Paul's uh, sharing that... Um, for the the viewers we'll we'll try and sum up for those on audio as well at the end of it mm-hmm. um if, mm. it, if it's not too clear as to what it's uh covering um but yeah I, I i i tend to agree with a lot of it where as you say if even if there is some value in the certifications out there those short courses the application of those is really yeah. difficult to um 
put a value on because you know as soon as someone gives you their cv and you're looking at cvs and you go oh, i've done this training I've done this training you're like well what does that actually really mean so whoop, there we go it's showing hey. now okay so back to you Paul. all right this is this is this is from our normal presentation okay and if you go to the dictionary you see that uh, competency is the uh, quality of state of being functionally adequate when measured or assessed against the standard so you you you've got to be to say i'm competent there has to be a there has to be some kind of a of a threshold okay mm -hmm. and that threshold changes, okay? So if you go for your if you go for your first driver's license when you're what, 16, 17 years old, you're gonna do a three-point turn, you're gonna start on a park on a hill or parallel park or whatever you have to do. But that's not the same as becoming a commercial truck driver. So this implies certain levels of competency, okay? So what happens is, is, is what, we, what we do is we view the PMP as being the first level of competency. It's an entry level credential. It's like, uh, it's like getting your learner's permit to drive the family sedan when you're 16, 17 years old, okay? It's a start, okay? Mm. But it's certainly not a professional level credential by any stretch of the imagination. Same thing with uh, flying a plane. We, we use a lot of... Um, we use a lot of um, uh, flying analogies because there's, there's very good steps there. You, you start out with a, with a little Cessna 172 or something, and you get your private pilot's license, I don't know, maybe 40 hours, 50 hours worth of flying, and you can get, a, you can get a, uh, your pilot's license. But you can only fly in the IFR conditions. You can't fly in bad weather, blah, 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 blah. Okay? But then... By the time you get up to becoming a 747 pilot or an Airbus 380 pilot for, say, Singapore here, you've got literally 15,000 hours worth of experience. And that's the same thing in project management. It takes roughly 15,000 hours before you are a competent project manager that can do a job like the Burj Khalifa or some of these big projects. So what happens is anybody, sorry guys, anybody that's only in their 20s or 30s that's doing a large project is probably not competent for it, not qualified to do it. Yeah. Okay, they just, they simply don't have enough experience. That's why in construction, you very rarely see a project manager on any size project that's younger than say 45 or 50 years old. And many of them are in their 60s before they get to, to do a really major project. So it sort of kills me when I see some of these 20-something uh, these guys and girls working on some of these multi-billion dollar uh, uh, IT projects. And then they wonder why they fail because they, they may have the technical knowledge but they don't have the management experience. They don't know how to manage people. They don't know how to plan and schedule. They don't know how to uh, analyze risks. <laughs> so there's, they have technical competency, but they don't have the management competencies. Hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say, and this is great to have a, a definition with some visual cues. And I think you, you explained it really well there, Paul. Um, and you talked about, uh, 15,000 hours, but I know we've, we've had various conversations on LinkedIn and you've 
often brought up as a benchmark, even as a standard, you know, Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule. Um, yeah. What's the basis behind that? Because I guess some listeners, especially maybe the early ones in their entry careers, or they don't really do much study in this space. What does that mean to them? And why is that important? Okay, 10,000 hours is the minimum to become a journeyman. Mm-hmm. To be a, so we're not saying they're not competent. We're just not saying they're management. They're, they're competent to run a project, okay? Or to, to work on a project. <clears throat> they have the technical skills and they are able to apply them under, under challenging or changing conditions. So 10,000 hours is the minimum acceptable uh, level of competence or experience for a project manager to become a, a uh, or to work on a project where they have autonomy, okay? Anything less than 10,000 hours of experience. And that includes, that includes degree plus four or five years experience, okay? So again, going back to the okay. trades, Normally, normally uh, for a construction manager today, you'll have a four-year degree. Four-year degree is worth roughly 5,000 hours, okay? And you'll have to work in project controls, cost estimating, scheduling, claims, contracts, for another four or five years before you are ready to take on a real project, to be, before you're assigned to a small project to manage it. Okay. Oh, there's one other thing I wanted to cover here. There's the second part of this is competency is characterized by appropriate and sufficient aptitude plus attitude plus skills plus strength plus knowledge. So it's a multidimensional construct. Okay. You can have the smartest person in the world, and if they don't have the aptitude for it, then they're going to go nowhere. I mean, Yanni. Yanni's got a degree in in uh, in uh, hotel management. She is, without a doubt, the best project manager that I've ever seen. Way better project manager than I am. Okay. You say that because you you ask increased salary, Doctor Paul. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, your per day, your per day. We have there to we go. That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like you know. It doesn't work like that. No, she is. She's 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 detail oriented. That's another thing. I, I've got no use for MBA types. Big picture thinkers don't make good project managers. Oh. The project managers that I've seen that are the most successful are absolutely anal about sweating every detail, okay? Mm, okay. They, they check the details and then they check them again and then they check them again and because something's gonna, bite, something's gonna bite you in the ass for sure. So yeah, Yanni is a control freak. <laughs> and there are many times that, that, that we've all thanked her very much because she's picked up details that could be fatal, okay? That's fantastic. It's uh, it's interesting you bring that up because Val and I have previously spoken around some of the best project directors we've worked with actually come from the control space. And as you know, controls looks yeah. quite heavily in the detail. Yeah. And then you get some that come from other routes into project management up to the project director and they don't actually understand what the data is telling them. They think they do or they call it <laughs> you know, just something that's academic and doesn't mean yeah. anything. 
And exactly. so they, they disregard it and treat it as a box ticking exercise where actually it can be a very, very valuable aid. Um, I, I guess I'll sort of push back a little bit. I think, I think the, the big picture, there is a value in having the big picture view on things. I think as you bring forward the multidimensional view. Yeah. So detail is, I agree with you, detail is incredibly important. Um, but I don't think there's a point in purely having the detail and not having the full uh, big picture view as well. So I think there's certain value as well in, in having both. I mean, we've previously spoken about, you know, fusion skills and having various types of depth of knowledge in certain aspects, but also having that breadth as well. So I, 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 I my personal view is I, I think both have its place. And we've previously spoken about having sort of a tool belt or toolkit and using the right skill set for the right moment. And if you're required to be more strategic, you can use that. And yeah. if you're required to get into detail, you can do that as well. Yeah, yeah. But the key element I think I pick up from you there, Paul and Yanni, as you go through that is that, you know, you, you spoke about the thresholds moving, um, you know, as time passes because things change and, you know, um, things change, yet they don't as well. Uh, but, but I think the thing that is constant is that we should be continuously learning. That's the point. Right. Whilst the concept yeah, never is. <laughs> exactly. Perhaps the yeah. concepts and the, the foundational learning that we have remains largely the same. The mm. subject matter, the complexity of things changes with technology, with how we advance in, in, in projects as well. So the other point I wanted to touch on as well is around your ten thousand or fifteen thousand hours. And we've previously spoken around, you know, either the Tiger Woods or the Roger Federer effect where you know, is that 10,000 hours of doing the same thing over and over a la Tiger Woods, where you're hitting, you know, the same shot over and over to practice your golf swing, or if it's a Roger Federer going, you know, I'm going to, you know, go on the skateboard and I'm going to go skiing and I'm going to do cricket and rugby and football, and I'm going to be the best tennis player in the world. So I think it's the latter to what you're saying, but if we can unpack exactly. that a little bit more, um, for those new in the profession, because let's face it, we, we're not trying to, um, sort of put barriers in front of those coming into the profession because we need the pipeline. Let's face it. We, there's a high mm -hmm. demand for project professionals. We don't have enough. So how do we yeah. encourage people to get there quicker? And is there a way to accelerate the 10,000 or 15,000 hours? Or is it just purely you do have to bide your time? What's your comments on that, Paul? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bide your time kind of a thing. Now, you know, it's like, it's like any bell curve. There are some people that can learn it in, in three years. There are other people that, uh, that <laughs> even after 15,000 hours don't get it, okay? But, but uh, we're pretty consistently by looking at the, um, by looking at the airline industry, the, the professional engineer, the PE license in the US and, uh, and Canada and uh, Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule we're coming up pretty clearly that that, that 15,000 hours, that's, that's to reach the top of your game, to become a Federer, you have to be 15,000 hours of increasingly challenging projects. So if, you, you know, if, if you're building a tract house and you do the same house every year for 15 years, that's not gonna count for anything. You have to keep challenging yourself to something new, something different. And, that's what, that's what we're doing now. I mean, we're, we're looking at this and we're, we talk about it a little bit, the, but the, the certification game is clearly over, at least the PMP and the exam-based credentials. 
So we're looking out as what's next. Okay, so we're we're right now we're in we're in a transition period ourselves. And what what as, is next? As what, I mean, yeah. What is next? Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you can see, I'm not young anymore. So, yeah. so uh, I I have to say, retirement or death is probably next. <laughs> okay. Or, but, or, a pay, or a pay increase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> so what happened is we're this is this is why we're experimenting around with podcasts right now. Um, we we had a big we had a big shakeup going through. We normally did blended learning, combined face to face and distance, and that that for what for most of the twenty years that worked. Uh, most of the thirty years that worked out very well, but when COVID came along. Everything was pure online, so we had to adapt all of our coursework for pure online. distance learning. So now we're taking what we learned from pure distance, and now we're, we're going, we're starting just today. I was playing around with uh, setting up a podcast so we can go online and start, come up with like a Khan Academy for project management or Khan Academy for project control. So that's, that's where we are headed, okay? Whether we can monetize it or not, I don't know. But we're gonna we're gonna head down that route because there's just so much crap out there. There's yeah. so many people that got their PMP and and they say, oh, uh, run a course on earned value, and they have no clue. They've never used earned value. Okay, yeah. and as you'll see, some of my favorite people on LinkedIn. <laughs> You said some of the people, I, I, I've lost all patience with them, okay? And basically... Oh, I think oh. we've lost your connection there, Paul. Uh, Yanni, did you want to pick up on some of those points as well? Because I think they're quite interesting um, where we're moving into the space. And, um, I, you know, feel free to use any of the content on, you know, Project Chat as well if you want. Uh, it's yeah. all free. But... Um, we are moving to, I guess, a more technology-based solution um, with, you know, the way people interact and, you know, this this talk now, Val's sort of huge into, well, I say into, yeah. but he loves the metaverse and what that might do as well. And he's huge into technology with Elon Musk and all that, that, that type of thing. And we previously spoke to guests like um, Dr. Eddie Obeng, who's got Cube and it's a virtual interaction space. Uh, so there's various, you know, strands of trying to, bring projects into this virtual world to harness what's good about it. But I think what you're alluding to, Paul, and I agree with is that that face-to-face, -face, there's still a huge element that we yeah. can't replicate today. Yeah. And I know, you know, the Zuckerbergs of the world are trying to emulate that. I just don't know if we'll be able to, to really replace that. Yanni, what's your thoughts on that? Um, not, not in my opinion, I think the face-to-face -face is really mandatory. You know? I mean, not full-time. I'm going to uh, bring up the issue about uh, the online because the COVID-19, you know, when the COVID-19 hit, you know, we're not really shocking because we done part of the uh, what, COVID, what during COVID-19 basically, you know, impact, you know, we have that blended learning. The blended learning is actually takes six months. So it's not shocking for us, but we still... We still, we still cannot figure out how can we replace the face-to-face, -face, you know, because mm, the yeah. interaction, you know, between uh, our client, his student, 
and sometimes I'm joining the first meeting, you know, I think it's the most important because if you have to go to site, you know, and check, you know, drown is not enough. In my opinion, we did it, you know. Yes, we got the result, but I think the, res the outcomes, you know, is way much better, you know, to, to, to see physically and face-to-face -face because the body language, you know, a bit difficult with our program, you know, do the, the pure online, you know. And only for certain people can able to follow our course because they're basically 100% independent. And majority, you know, in any culture, in any country, if you if your boss, if your management force them to join our course, that is set up for failure. So that's what we what if I come to the client, we actually, if they would like to training, we do consultancy basically, you know, for like five days, three days, and then we're explaining to them, look, we have a program like train the training kind of things or oh, you we, you basically you know will be able to manage this project you know using your own people because dr paul will not last long you know for over six months he pull his hair he will ask me like let me out of here you know six months <laughs> is done six months is done so and i said you gotta be ready ready or not six months that should be done you know but uh, soon as soon as the client said okay i'm gonna standing like that Thirty people, and I said, "Well, it's not going to be thirty people. We're going to basically filter them. We're gonna do interview. We will do the test. You know, out of thirty people, probably it's only ten people. You know, to be in the class. And then, who do you care? We pay. You know, that's the problem. If you pay big bucks, and then you will review us. The program is fail, and you already pay us big bucks. I do not want to. You know, so." We only basically taking a people who hungry and motivated to learn because this is pretty much independent, you know. It's not because, oh, because my boss asked me to sit in this class and then he's play nothing and then like uh, boring because it's not, it's because they do not want to learn, you know. They yeah. had enough with that salary, especially one particular culture i do not want to mention but you probably know you know the richer and then they they got oil they got <laughs> the first the first contract you know the first list they're saying oh the training should be done by two o'clock huh in your dream the training will be done probably if five o'clock they will be happy you know like no regal is done or not we're gonna be done by two o'clock okay two o'clock, but I'm going to change the contract. You have to sign it, I'm saying, because if they're complaining, <laughs> oh my goodness, look at this. Mm. Your people cannot do this uh, earn value thing because we only work until nine to two and then they sign it. That's it, you know. <laughs> I have to have a proof it for everything. I do not want to arguing. Everything have to be on paper. So Dr. Paul, come back. You can basically, <laughs> he's back now. No, he's back. It's, it's, great to have you. it's great to have you back, Paul. And, and Yanni, uh, just to comment on that before we switch gears slightly, I, I think... I think both Val and I will agree with you wholeheartedly. And there's a lot of value in, because Val and I do this. We pay for our own education. We don't wait for you ah, know, the, the, the organizations good. we work for yeah. because we want to mm -hmm. do it, right? Yeah. And yeah. there's a certain value in doing it yourself. Whereas yes. if you wait for your company to pay or if you wait yeah. for them to offer it to you, you're not, bought, you're not fully bought into it, right? Yeah. So yeah. We, 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 we fund our, our, our own education. So I think those listening, if you want to really motivate yourself and pick up the, the full breadth of knowledge that institutions, whichever one it is, mm -hmm. which, whichever course you're signing up to, 
put your own money behind it because you've got yeah. more skin in the game, right? Yeah, it, it just yeah. adds that extra. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but like I say, I do want to switch gears slightly because we do have quite a few topics to to get to, and benchmarking was kind of ne- the next big one, and. Mm-hmm. I guess my, my question on benchmarking before I hand to Val around it is, how do we know which benchmarking to trust? Because there's so many various studies and theories and benchmarks out there. And, and, and as we say, things are changing all the time. Val says, I say it every, every episode, so I'll say it again. A project is a unique endeavor with a definite start and definite end. So how can you possibly benchmark? You know, there's certain elements perhaps in construction, but as we get into large and larger technology uh, projects. How do we benchmark those? Because ten thousand lines of code is not the same as ten thousand lines of code. Um, where perhaps a ten meter wall is the same as a ten meter wall. So I, I get that for the built environment, where we can kind of you know benchmark to a certain extent. But even that is developing. But particularly for these larger, complex software projects that we're and that is very much I think where the world is going. Particularly with you know the whole focus on uh, you know, the, the environment and climate change and where we're looking to, you know, sort of reuse rather than sort of, you know, add because that contributes to to pollution as well. So I wonder, Paul, if I come to you first, just on, on your comments around benchmarking. Yeah, there's uh, results. Okay. We're going back to the driver's license example. Okay. There's, uh, you know, there's uh, the standards, there's the three-point turn, Parking, parking on a hill, parallel parking, whatever it is. <clears throat> you have to decide what are acceptable results. So even, even, if you're, um, even if you're a doctor, there are certain results that you're not going to get your medical license if you, can't sew up a, if you can't sew up a wound that you just made, okay? So the key is to decide what, what is an acceptable output, and you measure the outputs no the the term i use is uh, i forget who it was but uh who said it but the uh, the proof of the pudding is in the eating yep okay now days i know it's a british uh a british uh author from a long time ago okay so the key is 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 you like alpha test beta test i'm not that big on on the software terminology but we just did a website Okay, we told the guy what we wanted, and we told him we said this is this is what this is what we want for the end result. Now I have no clue how the hell he gets there, and quite frankly, I don't care how he gets there. That's why we're outsourcing it. All I want to see is when you're done. This is what I want to see. I want to see something that looks like this. I want to see something that does this. I want to see something that does that. So benchmarking is not all that difficult if you know what you want. Now, the problem comes in is, is if you don't know what you want, then, then there's a trial and error period that you have to go through. And that's the, uh, that's the whole agile argument, which it works. Okay. It even works in construction. Right now, we've got, um, we've got a big oil field here. Been, it's been it's been pumping since 1948. There are millions of barrels of oil still trapped in the sandstone. They can't get it out. Okay, they tried water flood. They tried lignite flood. They've tried chemical floods. They've tried steam oil floods. So they keep experimenting. 
sooner or later, they're going to come up with a technology that can get that oil out. But in the meantime, they have to just keep experimenting at it. And that's the very essence of Agile. Okay, it's how, it's how Neanderthals tamed fire 300,000 years ago. So Agile is nothing new. Trial and error is a perfectly valid, although expensive and slow, project management delivery system. Okay, so the question is, is, is you benchmark by looking at what the results are. Okay, mm -hmm. and you, in a lot of ways, you're seeing that with COVID right now. Okay, they're, they're, they're doing it half-assed, but they're looking for results. Okay. Yeah, and they are. They're, they're comparing, you know, country to country, variables yeah. by variables. Yeah. yeah. Some type of kind of lockdown versus non-lockdown. Yeah, so yeah, yeah some type that's of distribution. A, yeah. Yep. That's a perfect example of agile project management with benchmarks that we we don't know what the benchmarks necessarily are, but they're starting to evolve. Okay. Mm. Number of deaths uh, for infected people. Uh, uh, is, you know, is masks working or masks not working? Mm -hmm. Benchmark using results. And that's that's a really good example, actually, because it, it's one that's on the world stage and everyone's got access to the data, you know, whether the data is right or wrong. Oh. And this comes down to tr oh. the, the challenge here now, and this is probably a really good example, Paul and Yanni, is how do you trust the data? Back to Dale's point before is um. some of the data and the expression of data and the quality of it to benchmark is in some way biased, dependent on the environment. So it could be a misdiagnosed death in a hospital, could be... Um, you know, someone does the wrong test and someone is tested yeah. positive, but is really is it double negative or a double positive, something like that. How do we, and we, we check that to projects where you have the same environment, you have multi-variables. And as Dale said, you've got unique environments with different things happening. And, you know, they usually say, well, to benchmark, you need some type of repository and they usually call it a, a capturing lesson or a lessons learned. Now, Lessons learned is an interesting one. We've had a lot of different views on lessons learned and knowledge management in general, and not everyone agrees on this podcast, believe it or not, Paul. And I would love to hear your view. I think sometimes it's about how do we take information from this project and carry it forward or from this sector or industry and carry it forward? Because the idea is a benchmark is to help us improve, right? The, the idea of results is that we can compare the results and see, uh, are we doing worse or are we doing better? Or are we doing the same? Where are we on this plateau thing? Where are we on this platform? And so it's a bit of a gauge, isn't it? It's to tell you whether, you know, you use the yeah. airport or, or as, a, as, a, as, a, as a pilot, you said, you know, you kind of want to make sure you're lined up with the horizon. You don't want to be heading towards the earth. You don't want to be heading towards the sky. You kind of want to be balanced. And I think a lot of projects are struggling because they can't really see where the horizon is. It's like, okay, where are we exactly? And we get a lot of requests as consultants, as you would know as well. What is benchmarking and what is best practice? Because that's also kind of a low flying fruit that a lot of consultants promise. So we'll give you best practice. <laughs> we know the benchmarks. It only costs you much, a couple of million dollars. What is that to you? So how do we get past all this fog and, and provide something, as you said, in, in before we press record, um, factual within the data of benchmarking? Well, the, the, let's see. The first part of it is is... Um, I thought PMI was on the right track when they when they changed the PMBOK Guide 7th edition to principle-based. The problem was is, uh, is uh, Nader Rad picked the wrong benchmarks, 
of uh, the wrong the wrong principles. The scientific method has been in place since the 12th century. The scientific method has produced hundreds of thousands of um, of new products and services over the past 900 years. Okay. So what I was hoping and what I recommended is all they need to do is go look at the five principles of, uh, of uh, the scientific method and apply those. And that means there are experiments. We find out the results of the experiments and then that's how we cut through the fog. And if one experiment doesn't work, we try another one. That's why I was, I was, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Trump, but I, but he, he screwed up on this, on pushing this, uh, pushing this vaccine because he, he cut out all the tests on it. So what happens is, is, is here we have, here we have vaccines that haven't been tested. I don't know, you guys are, you guys are too young to remember thalidomide, but that was a horror show because they didn't do enough testing. Uh, on the drug before they released it, okay? And I, I'm, I'm scared shitless right now that when you start doing recombinant RNA, when you start messing with genetic engineering, it's okay, <clears throat> you get shots, your wife gets shots, they modify your, your genetics. What happens when you have a kid? Now, this, now, you, now you, your, your RNA or your DNA and her DNA are, are forming a, another person. What's going to be the recombinant effects on that? I, I think that's why we chose not to get uh, vaccinated. We don't. We, we're worried about the unintended consequences of vaccines that haven't been fully tested. Okay, especially mm. when they do genetic modification. Shane, you won't eat. You guys won't eat. You guys won't eat uh, corn that's been genetically modified. The guy, the Australians, anyway. Yeah, nobody wants to eat GMO food, but hey, stick me with, Give me the stick GMO. Me with a booster. <laughs> okay? That's why we looked at it and said, no way are we taking a jab here. We're, we'll take our chances the old-fashioned way. Yeah. No, and I appreciate the scientific methods. I think we, we can all agree that that's what we want. And I think uh, you said something before, you know, that I think PMI was, like, PMI was on the right track and they just got it wrong. And this is the danger of yeah. benchmarking in general. I think if... If you ask any any project, they would love to know whether this project is within within its bounds. But how do you go about setting up benchmarks, and particularly when the data is sparse and it's not really reliable? Despite the the, the age of project management, we, as you said earlier on, we've been delivering project management for eons, and yet we still really haven't grasped the fact that it's all within within our grip. You know, we used to blame technology, we used to blame people. We used to blame the tools, the process, the environment, the materials, um, but actually, in fact, it's not. And and it's, it's certainly an issue around competency, I think, as you mentioned. So so how do we get to a point where maybe an industry class could work? Uh, let's take transport infrastructure. There's a lot of transport projects being built all around the world. How can we draw from the same data set? Can we anonymize data? I know in the UK, we talked to Martin Paverdale, who was talking about setting up an anonymized data trust that everyone could access. Now, it sounds altruistic and, and very aspirational, but it sounds interesting. And it almost sounds mm -hmm. like that could, is that something you, you would support? Yeah, we do support it. Okay. We, we, we published 1300 pages of that. <coughs> we, 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 
there are certain things we know work. Okay, not everything. But let's face it, let's let's go back to something simple. You have a vacation. You have a time frame. You got two weeks off. Okay? You've got a budget. So you and your family make a plan. We want to go here. We want to go there. We want to do this. We want to do that. You figured it out. And if you follow the plan, plan your work and work your plan, you will finish on time within budget. And it doesn't matter what it is. Okay? And you have to put, you have to pull, build in some contingency, some money contingency, because some things will go over or under, and you have to build in some time contingency. So we know how to manage projects. The problem is, is you, this is why we have to get the Ben Flivberg and uh, and uh, and uh, Glenn Butts from NASA. They're saying the, there's way too much optimism bias. We're not being realistic enough. And I think that if we had if we had real data, lots of it, we have the power to crunch that data and analyze it. So if you have real numbers, you should be able to come up with with realistic estimates, time estimates, cost estimates. And if you have a realistic estimate to start with and you have the the authority to to uh, apply the resources, you know, get the resources and apply them when they're needed, your projects finish on time and with budget, within budget. Mm -hmm. We do it all the time. Our, our classes almost never run late. Sometimes they blow the budget because of time, but they're certainly within reason. So there's, there's all kinds of examples out there where people manage projects every day. So how is it that they can manage their projects but when you get into these mega projects, people forget the common sense. Okay, they lose the common sense aspects of it. And that's why Flipberg's research is so valuable. Yeah. <laughs> good good point there, uh, Paul. And you mentioned Ben and Yanni, jump in if you had anything else to comment. Um, ben Flipberg, we've we've tried to get him on the podcast a few times, but he's he's too important for us us uh, peasants. So look, I think it's important that maybe we start with what's within our control with benchmarking. And I've, I've obviously explained this to a few companies where I said, well, you have your own data repositories. You've completed your own projects across various industries. You can create and control your own environments. Therefore, you would have the best chance of creating a, a sound, unbiased, non-optimistic, you know, uh, setup for yourself. Yeah. And I think that's, that's where we should start, you know, start yeah. with, with the inflection, yeah. start with yourself first really? and reflect on the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So well, this gets I, back to, this comes back to Dale's uh, comment earlier about the big picture thinkers. The real problems we see is these, these, uh, these, uh, well, suits sit in some cushy office somewhere and they, they, they come up with, Oh, we want to do it at, at P40 duration. And well, I've cut the budget by 30%. So they're, they're, they're creating failure right from the, from the get-go, okay? Uh, mm. the, best one, the, the best example is Biden's fiasco in withdrawing from Afghanistan. He had an yeah. artificial time. He, he, had a, he had a time frame that was unrealistic. And no, the, the best project manager in the world couldn't execute that, okay? Yeah. So they, they, set, they set the project up for failure from the beginning. And that's what Flipberg is telling us. Glenn Butts is another one that talks about it all the time. Mm. You know, 
NASA does some, NASA does some pretty fantastic stuff. Okay, <laughs> from a technical perspective, way way bigger than most IT projects even because uh, IT is just a part of it. And their projects run 200%, 300% over budget. budget. Why? Because, uh, because some suit, some big picture thinker says, oh, if we, if we go out with that much money, we'll never get this thing sold. Okay? When we're better off to say, look, realistically, it's going to take $100 billion, okay? And I think, actually, I think Musk does a better job of that than most, okay? At least he's honest, seems to be honest with his numbers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think you're right. I think, uh, I think you're right as well from an inception perspective. If you look at a lot of how projects get off the ground, particularly mega projects, at the business case or the inception state, they're like, it's 50 million. By the time yeah. they go into actually establishing yeah. the project, it's it's 300 times that i completely agree with that every project i've yeah. seen and it's almost yeah. a front facing floor like it's it's almost especially with taxpayers money or government state yeah. program they yeah. sent they they sense they sense the understanding that we can't obviously tell the public this is going to cost this much and even when they know it's going to blow out they wait to the last minute we've seen this with a few major projects crossrail being one of them in particular but i find your uh, your your feedback with on benchmarks is, is is very apt and i think we agree with you that i think what we're saying is, and hopefully you agree that I th we need to simmer this down into something that we can control because the vast amounts of data, as we've seen with COVID, which we've seen can be manipulated. It's hard to maintain a public forum of a, of a, of a, of a generic opinion in which we could all benchmark against. I haven't seen any proof of that yet. Uh, I would love to. And it sounds like you're doing a great job in your sphere because you can control it. And I have seen projects. Uh, there was a company, one of our clients, that's been around for a hundred years. They just celebrated their hundredth year. They're a construction company and oh they, they have benchmarks because they yeah. have the realm of control and they understand their environment, which makes sense. Yeah. Dale, exactly. uh, what's your thoughts, mate? I have plenty of thoughts. Um, I, don't know, I don't know if I want to share all of them on this podcast. <laughs> but, but, this, yeah. but specifically on, on benchmarking, I, I, I think the, for me, what I take away is that we have data there, we're not using it. And mm. even if we do have it, are we actually using it to your point, Paul? Um, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, the, I, I agree with you that decisions need to be based on evidence. And I think that's what we're saying is that use the data available to us. Yes, there's a problem of cleansing the data and making sure that it is not just data, but actually mm. information because that's the yeah. first challenge. But once you have the information, don't just you know put it in a filing cabinet somewhere. Actually look at it and what is it telling us? And perhaps we can be a little bit more uh, predictive, have a bit more certainty in what's going to happen if we actually use the data of the past. Yes, you know, there, there's elements of change in there as well in terms of the various elements going forward um, because situations change. Projects need to adapt and adopt as well. Um, and there's technology to be honest. So it's quite a complex piece. And I do tend to agree with you that one person making a decision with all these moving parts can't come to the right conclusion. It just doesn't make sense. So it, mm -hmm. it needs to consider all the moving parts. Yeah. I do want to make a little bit of space though for um, <laughs> the, I guess our, our hottest topic being canceled from LinkedIn. <laughs> and um I, I, I want to know. I, I don't know the story at all, Paul. Um, 
give us give us give us the backstory and then what led up to you being cancelled from LinkedIn. Okay, it's very simple. <laughs> First of all, I have no use for PMI. Okay, I think the organization is is blatantly corrupt. I think they've caused more damage than they than they've created good. Okay, they even they even had to finally admit their Pimbot guide did not work, which it hasn't. Okay, they're they're missing a uh, they're missing the role of the asset manager. PMI doesn't talk about the asset manager, nor does Prince too. That's why neither one of those methodologies or box have ever worked is because they're missing one of the key decision makers. But that's a different story, all right? That's, a, that's, that's another hour and a half presentation, all right? So what happened was, is, let's see, let me share my screen again. Well, the Look. question is very simple. Just tell him <laughs> how you got canceled by LinkedIn because you say something about PMI. You yeah, well, I'm going, to tell, I'm going to show them what I said. Oh, Here's yeah. what happened. Here's, oh, right. let, let me start out with this one. First of all, Lee Lambert, who is one of the, who is one of the founders of the PMP, okay, went on LinkedIn and posted the truth about it, okay? All right, and he said, he said the PMP was never designed to be a competency-based credential. It was only designed so that the people, people joining a project team from functional departments could speak the language. That was the intent of it. If you look at PMI's advertising today, right now, it says that the PMP is a gold standard and that standard measures competency. It's a lie. It's a blatant, flat out lie, mm. okay? It's against US law and it's against PMI's code of ethics, okay? Now, I had the temerity, the stupidity maybe you could say, to actually bring this, bring this up to people's attention and I was posting it. Almost every day, okay? <laughs> because this information needed to go, needed to be made public, okay? There's another one. Um, Theophanes Geodis published some data on the PMP. Let me show you that little doll. Let's see. I'm loving this. So for those that are listening, uh, we're just going through I'll some, share. Some I'll send these here. to you. Yeah, we'll put it on the show notes for sure. But for those listening as sure. well, they should yeah, probably yeah. check out this in, in, in long form on, on YouTube as well. Yeah. And Dr. Paul, and you... Wait, 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 let me, let me take care of this. Let me get this up. It's important. <laughs> repose and repose and people got threatened, you know, because a lot of people, you know, can be bankrupt, you know, for his opinion. Why is that? Explain that, Yanni. A lot of people complaining to LinkedIn. Mm. He said he's. Hey, let me finish. Let me finish the story. Let me. He, finish, lost, you missed he, he will tell the story in a month. You missed the step. So right, here's here what. Whoops. Where, where did it go here? I had it. Slow there down. Go. Can you see that? Slow down. Can you, right, so can you see that? Yeah, the PMP's worldwide chart. Yep. <coughs> <coughs> 
okay. my God. Okay. Theophanes Geodes, Theophanes Geodes published this. He's a uh, president of the PMI Greece chapter. He published this year-on-year -year growth. What I did was I took the Excel best fit curve feature and I showed that the PMP is a dying credential. Okay, and it's this is based on their data, not my data. This is based on their published data. What does it show? And there was Sorry, one just other... to explain. Sorry, Paul, just to explain that. Okay. What is it showing here? Okay, the yellow the yellow lines mm -hmm. show the year on year growth, the year on year growth of the PMP year year on year. Okay. Certification. I used I used Excel's best fit curve, and this is what it looks like. The PMP is dying, okay? Quickly. <laughs> but it looks like Probably revenue is going fast. the other way around. Does it look like, is revenue going No, up? no, no, that's, that's not revenue. That's, that's cumulative numbers of people certified. Uh, that's okay. the way PMI keeps showing you. Gotcha. PMI keeps showing you the growth of the PMP. What, I'm, mm -hmm. what I plotted was the rate of growth and the rate of growth is dropping off, okay? Okay, so more people now are joining. But less people are getting certified. Is that right? No, 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 no. This, this is certification. Okay. So if you look at the blue, the blue bars, that's the cumulative uh, number cumulative. of people certified. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's, so that it looks good. It looks, oh, the PMP is growing. But when you look at it on year on year, the percentage increase of PMPs each year, you can see that it's, that is dropping off exponentially, that the market has has saturated, okay? And, you know, now that the big companies, the uh, the IBMs and uh, the Nokias, Nokia doesn't require PMP anymore. And I don't mm. know, how many how many people do we train, Yanni? 8,000, 10,000 people we train for Nokia. Yeah, okay? but we and train for the competency and not for the exam. Yeah, yeah, but they, it's really the clear. Is, is they, they, the thing is, is they dropped it. They don't require it anymore. Yeah, okay? so Dr. Paul, get to the point. And because he posted this, because he posted this wait, on wait, LinkedIn. Wait, wait, wait. There's, wait, there's one more. There's one more. So, and because <laughs> of you... this, you know, he got canceled. No, no, no. There's, there's three no, more. There's not, I mean, one more. People complaining. People who run the PMP exam, you know, it's really got trend by his opinion. No, Yanni, Yanni, you don't have the full story. I do it's because another they, one. they send me WhatsApp. You so don't like, have oh, the full story. Okay, then tell me. I'm telling you. Let me story. Let me finish the story. There's one more. If you go to Glassdoor, they Glassdoor has got a public has published all of the people that have been have been fired or quit from PMI. Okay, and they absolutely brutal about the organization, how poorly managed it is, how it's run by a clique of people that are making a lot of money, okay? So I'm publishing these three things on, on a two or three times a week, okay? What happened was, this is the part you're not sure of, Yanni, is that PMI contacted their, their training providers and said, hey, Jim Alvo's screwing up your uh, Jim Alvo's screwing up your uh, your cash flow here. This, I know he's that story. Your business. I know that so story. <laughs> he got the he got he got the people he got the people who were uh, training providers 
to complain LinkedIn. to LinkedIn. Okay. And LinkedIn told me, they, they showed me that I've got the names of some of the people that complained. Okay. What was so, the complaint basis? So, what was the basis of the complaint though? Well, the basis was, the basis was I was destroying their business. No, the not only that, you're abusive. Yeah, yeah but... <laughs> that's the <laughs> truth, because it's like bad cop and good cop. And then oh, they yeah. think I'm a good cop, yeah. and then they're like texting me privately. Like, oh my well, God, you know. Yeah. Like, I, I was going to bring that up because I, let's be honest, you guys are very, whoever's using what account, you're very controversial. Uh, you've had a few discussions yeah. on our play. Now, we don't mind, obviously, you know, free for all. We love the discourse, but... You know, explain that. What's what's your your point? I know I know you're passionate about this, Paul and Yanni, and it's great that we got this story. And, and please do finish it. There's more to it. But what what's the confrontational piece to it? What do you want to get out of this? What's the drive? Because you you want to change the world in the right way, and you want to improve projects. Um, what's yeah. what's the uh, the need to antagonize LinkedIn? Is that why they cancelled you? Yeah. Well, no, no, it was yeah. it was it wasn't that we antagonized LinkedIn. It's the PMI, which is run by lawyers. I don't know. Threatened LinkedIn. What LinkedIn said, what, what whatever they, that he, whatever he posted is inappropriate, you know. Yeah, to it is me, violation you know, of my terms. Violation, of but service. to me, you know, what is inappropriate? People can say whatever mm -hmm. they want, you know. It's like this, this, the, the song like you don't owe me, like you, I can tell whatever <laughs> I want. I can, you know, it's a free world, you know. People who believe yeah. they will buy in people who do not believe, hey, if you insecure, meaning your program is really bad, you know, because for me, you know, when I sign mm. a contract, money is not the only one consideration, the result and sure. the outcomes. So I can tell to my other client, I have successfully programmed for such and such a client, you know, and when the client is very difficult, I said, go find to other competitors because, you know, yeah. I am not impatient also because at the end of the day, you know, when they're complaining about my, my program, you know, I said, your boss asked you to be here. And I tell you, that's why I guess people got threatened by, by his post. They're so worried. Like, come on, like you can find other, if, if you think that you insecure, do not, they put me in business. If, my business rely on LinkedIn, but my business is not rely on LinkedIn. We got so many network, you know, when we got a project, it's nice because we got by reference. So mm, they know yeah. his style, they know our sure. program, they know our price, you know. I don't have to selling so hard, you know, because, oh, I got this from my friends. Oh, I got your name from the VP of oil and gas. I'm not gonna mention the company. Eh, they, mm -hmm. they basically saying, if if one result and outcomes, you know, come to this company. And did you tell you the professor is really nasty? I'm saying, yeah, yeah, they tell the style. Yeah. So if if they knew the style, then let's 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 join uh, with our program. But then I'm always tell to them, let's not do the six month first because they don't have a clue, you know. Let's do mm. the five day first. If you're happy with the five day, then you continue the six months, you know, because I do not want to get yeah. well, I want to get back. I want to get back yeah. to that, that answer that question. Go for it. What I'm what I'm trying to get out of this is I want the truth. I want the truth out there. Now, what people do with the truth is up to them, but I'm so fed up with all of the all of the lies that these organizations tell. 
And my loyalty is not the PMI, not the AAC, not to any professional society. My, my loyalty is to the practice of project management. And whatever is truthful about it, we've got to face up to it. And if the truth is not pretty and people don't like it, then change, the, change what they're doing. So I mm. think the key is here, like many, like many, uh, I don't know, say American conservatives, <laughs> are, are is that we got to get the, we got to get the truth out there and the truth is not pretty there's a lot of there's a lot of criminals out literally criminals out there and there's really there's a lot of bad actors there's a lot of snake oil sales men and women and we've got to call them out because yeah. if we don't call them out and we start to go to artificial intelligence and we start to automate a broken system we're never going to fix things i agree that's why i have issues this is is tea this is tea not not whiskey (laughs) well this is whiskey so there you go um look i think there's some great points there and i you know i'm not sure what linkedin's personal reasons are or professional reasons are maybe it is do you think it'd be more of the abuse side of things rather than you know, they, they tend to go after the people who abuse others rather than professional organizations taking out on the, on the man. I mean, you're one guy against a huge organization. I mean, I, I can't see yeah. why they're threatened by you. But that being said, that has happened in history before. Um, and it's a shame because I think That's what if, they that told hap- me. if that is happening, yeah. we have seen it on other social media platforms. And I was hoping because Dale and I aren't on any other platform. We really use LinkedIn and that's about it. But it is happening on other platforms. We know censoring is happening on Facebook. We know it's happening yeah. on Twitter. We know yeah. it's happening. Yeah. And people are getting yeah. lifetime bans for not necessarily yeah. having their own information. It's actually factual data that they're just reposting or yeah. resharing, which is interesting. So if that is yeah. happening, shame on you, LinkedIn. If it's not, well, then we'll have to get to the bottom of it. Now, Mr. Yeah. Paul or Dr. Paul and Yanni, it's been great to have you. I know we've got to wrap up soon. Um, I did want to say one yeah. more thing, though. Would you be open if we could organize it to have a have a bit of a bit of a panel debate with some of these institutions uh, next year with yourselves, would you be open to that? Yeah. Sure. yeah. He'd be happy. I'd be happy too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Because people Excellent. always in LinkedIn like, oh, this is Dr. Paul, you know. Yeah, Dr. Paul in technical aspect, but on the business is me, you know. So. Well, exactly. And it's, it's under the pursuit of truth, right? This isn't to hang anyone. It's actually yeah. just in the pursuit of truth. And I think that's a really good platform. Thanks thanks for your, uh, for your time today. Uh, Dale, over to you. Thanks, Val. And as we wrap up, uh, just one more feature, and I'm just going to ask one of you, I'll, I'll go to, to Dr. Paul for this one. So it's called Defend the Indefensible. You have 30 seconds to defend it. In other words, argue for the statement. And it's a little bit of fun. So are you ready, Dr. Paul, for the statement you have to defend? Sure. So argue, you have to argue for, for this. The measure of someone's competency is based on how many short three to five day certification courses they have completed. (laughs) You have 30 seconds. (laughs) Okay. The, um, every, every major licensing, driving a car, driving a piece of heavy equipment, flying a plane always starts out with an exam. Okay. That's step one. That's it. That's it.
Fair enough. We'll accept. That's your answer. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's a good. bit of fun at the end. Just a bit of you know going against the grain of the of the conversation. But thank you so much, as Val says. Uh, you know, it's been great having you on. We love your candidness, your openness. Continue doing what you do. Um, the, the course and debate is welcome from us, at least. You know, if if not from those on on others on LinkedIn, uh, we we do like the alternative views as well. So so keep going on that front. Uh, just before we let you go, any final thoughts? I'll go to you, Yanni, first. Mm, no, I guess I don't have anything. This is fun. And thank you so much for having us, you know. And now I hope people know the relation between him and, and I, you know, why <laughs> why people always think like, oh my God, you know, someone using your LinkedIn. Yeah, is I'm the one writing actually. So fantastic. You are a real person. So there yeah, we go. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. No, honest to God, you know, many people saying you fake person, you know, huh? I'm saying like, where did you get this photo? You know, like it's me, you know, like it's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. So we, we've cleared it up on the Project Chatter podcast. Yanni Suratman is a real person. And thank you so much, Yanni. Dr. Thank Paul, <laughs> any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah, I want to follow up on what Yanni was saying. Is that she's not only a real person, but she writes... Those words are her words. Now, on a technical end of it, I feed her technical information, but those words are her words. So there's a lot of people out there that, that say, oh, this is this is really you that's writing. No, it's not. It's Yadi that's writing. She's no, just as nasty as I am. No, uh, no, no, no. I'm more nice than you. But the thing is, <laughs> I'm hanging around with him so long for 32 years for 32 years, so I became like sometimes like, oh my God, I'm why I'm like Dr. Paul, you know. So, but some of them, his his ideas, some of them like, yeah, let's 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 have fun, you know. People who yeah, do, yeah. Not, do not get personal, especially with him, just you know. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. people react differently, I guess. Absolutely. It, a lot of people insecure, you know. That's mm. in my opinion. They're very insecure with, with their business, you know. With this world being COVID nineteen, you know, I don't have, I don't have patience, you know, to to get more money to get, you know, because I heard there is something big worse than COVID nineteen, and we all gonna die. And I'm like, okay, well, let's have fun. So go ahead and do whatever you want to do. We're yeah, die, yeah. You know? <laughs> let's have fun indeed fell any final thoughts from you uh look i think i think we've we've un un unpacked a lot today and it's great to have uh, a bit of truth serum today as, as well and i think for those out there just reaffirming that you know education is within your domain don't let anyone tell you what you should study work out what's right for you at the right time whether it's philosophy critical thinking I think we need more people understanding the scientific method, as, as Dr. Paul mentioned. Again, these are transferable skills and people skills. Everyone forgets the people skills. Guys, project management is about looking after people. But thanks for you guys being on board yeah. and being so brave to speak up and stand out. Thanks very much for being on the show. <laughs> thanks for having us. Bye-bye, guys. Thanks, both of you. Folks, that's all the time we have on this episode. But if you like what you've heard, you can pay it forward by sharing a link to this episode on your social media if you haven't been cancelled. A massive thank you to our guests, <laughs> Dr. Paul and Yanni, and thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me and Val, it's bye for now. For more information, blogs, or to support our charities, visit projectchatterpodcast.com. And if you would like to sponsor the podcast, get in touch via our website.
You can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual.